What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain I live in Texas, and pretty much all the food you get in Texas is better with hot sauce. And so when we're looking around and trying to find all of the different types of hot sauce, we realize that there's some problems. One, a lot of people put a lot of different chemicals that aren't really healthy for you. Two, a lot of people put sugar in their hot sauce. It's fucking hot sauce. You don't need sugar in your hot sauce. So on it, did what on it does and tried to come up with an even better version of something that we all know and love. And that's the keto hot sauce. It's got a spicy, garlicky, rad flavor with all of the right type of oils and all of the right type of ingredients to help support a low carb, keto friendly diet and give you that spice that you want for your tacos, for your burritos. Man, I put hot sauce on my tuna melts. It's delicious. I put hot sauce on my quiche. I don't know. I put hot sauce on everything. So definitely check it out. This is our one of our newest products here at Onnit. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and check out our rad new keto hot sauce. One of my favorite things to do on this podcast is to talk to my really good friends. And Aaron Alexander has been one of my really good friends, but he's actually taking kind of a special role in my friendship pantheon because he's one of the people that really checks on me kind of more than anybody else he's the one who will hold me accountable to ideas that i say say aaron i'm going to try and cleanse my body i'm going to try and do these things i'm going to try and rest more and he'll like hit me up throughout the week and be like hey man how you doing and so he has a wealth of knowledge on all different kinds of facets of emotional health mental health and of course physical health. He's a true master at how your physical expression can influence your mental and emotional expression. I really enjoyed dropping in with him on this podcast. Check out his podcast, Adeline Podcast, and enjoy the show. Well, good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me on. You know what, man? So one of the things that, and I've noticed it a bit, but not as much as everybody else, but I get, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends, and I've had universally so many people come up and be like, man, Aaron really seems like he's doing good. Seems like he's like way more comfortable in his own skin, you know? Yeah. And I can kind of notice that. But have you felt that? Is that an internal experience you're having or is that something that's just a reflection that other people are seeing? Um, I think it's both and that's a feedback loop. You know, like yesterday I got a question at this. We did a, like a live podcast thing and on it and... Um, I got this question of like, who was your mentors when you were just starting this journey, whatever the heck the journey is, and then who are the mentors now? And I was like, damn, that's like a really interesting question. I'd be curious your response to that, actually. 
Um, but my mentors, when I was like 14, 15, I really got into like bodybuilding and just got in fitness and understanding how the body works, um, was like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, so like pumping iron, I watched that like 16 times obsessively, and just mm-hmm. like the veins and like, oh, like that's what I need. <laughs> um, and now it's it's so much more sorting out this whole like it sounds so cheesy to say out loud but like inner peace uh-huh. you know and so this analogy popped up of you know if we focus so much on that that superficial aspect like the car and the obvious muscles and you know all the things that people see it's like the analogy that just like surface was like it's almost like building your house beside a volcano you know and so you can build this illustrious amazing house and it can be great you invite your friends over and have these great parties no, but at any time, the volcano can erupt and just, whoosh, you're just totally wiped off the map. Pompeyed. Pompeyed. You know, and, that, and that's something to me. So in this like, the process of like, creating this, this book that people may or may not know anything about, um, you know, and just getting into more just like writing and introspection and all that stuff, I did it more, I've been doing it more out of a sense of like self-preservation, I think. You know, of like, mm-hmm. Pompeii could happen any time. <laughs> You know, and at this point, most of my life was driven towards superficial validation. And in the last several years, I guess, that's starting to kind of like take hold a little bit more. So was it, is it partly because you've found enough superficial validation that you've learned that it's not the super valid, superficial validation that's actually important? Because I, I find that that's one of the common themes. It's almost like you have to get there. Like if you never were able to get the muscles, you might still be chasing the muscles. If you were never able to get the success that you have now, being able to get a book advanced and get a book published and get that out, even though it hasn't published yet, but like reach the level you're at with your podcast, with your reach, to still understand that that doesn't quell the volcano, right? That doesn't stop the volcano of your own psyche and your own you know, ideas of yourself and your need for validation and your expectations and all of these ambitions that you have. It doesn't even quell the vo- volcano at all to actually accomplish that. Do you think that's been a, a bit of a part of it as well for you? Is just that, okay, I'm actually am doing these things and still nonetheless the volcano is raging. Because I know that's certainly been one of the growth tools for me is actualizing and achieving a lot of these things that I've been working towards and then realizing like, uh-huh, didn't solve it, <laughs> didn't solve it. Yeah, I think the validation is really helpful. Um, you know, so I think it's both. Like, I think it's really easy for people in like spiritual circles that you know a lot of the, the folks in that realm. You, you're interesting because you have this interesting juxtaposition between like these two like bro worlds and then the spiritual like Eckhart Tolle worlds, <laughs> which is really fascinating. Um, but I think that people can get too caught up in the spiritual introspection, just sit on a cushion until you know the world comes together, and that's bullshit. Like, that's not going to happen. You know, like you also need to. I was listening. Gary V had this like sponsored ad thing that I saw recently. I'm pulling from a sponsored ad, um, and it was like you have to have this balance between the dirt and the and the clouds. And so, like the clouds aspect is like, what are your dreams? What are your visions? What are you shooting for? And then the dirt aspect is like actually being in the gym, actually being with the people, actually going to these conferences, being in the rooms with these people, you know, doing that work, reading the books, studying, reciting, practicing, meditate, like all of that shit. And then if you have that combination between the two, I think that's really important. But so I think having those, those validation factors has been really helpful as well, like actually seeing the evidence. Mm-hmm. If you're just sitting by yourself 
on a cut. It might, I mean, it probably works for some people. I don't know. But seeing, seeing the validation is enough to keep it, keep it going. It's, an it's like you can catch momentum. Yeah. And then you start to feel like where I'm at right now, I'm sure where you're at, um, you start to feel this momentum from people pushing you. you know? So we're almost like binding as an organism. You know, now the rest of the, the organism is saying, Aubrey, like, you're really helping. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, I guess I should pay attention. <laughs> you know, and it starts to matter. But yeah. it's pushing your, it's like pushing a rock up a hill. I had a sensation of like I was pushing a rock up a hill and I'd push, 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 push each day. And then I get to the end of the day and the rock would just like, like roll back over and like the, maybe the push six Sisyphus, inches. Right. What is it called? The classic Sisyphus. Sisyphus was the titan that was punished by having to push a rock up a hill every day. Mm. And then every night, the rock would fall back down the hill. And the next morning, you would have to push the rock up the hill. And the next day, the rock would fall down the hill. And so it's Sisyphean or Sisyphus's challenge, which is something that's like a metaphor, an idea that we all have to face, where we're making what we think is this incredible progress. And then we'll wake up another day Let's say we're making progress in a relationship. Oh, we're really working on my jealousy. Oh, I'm really working on my anger. And you've been pushing this boulder up this hill, and you're like, wow, the clouds up here are amazing. I've done such a good job pushing this boulder. And then one fucking thing happens, and you're all the way back down at the bottom again going like, what the fuck? I thought I pushed that rock up there. You know, like I thought I did this. But like you said, perhaps if you're actually really paying attention, you realize that maybe it only fell six inches, you know, higher than it did the time before yep. and so you get a and you're a little bit better at pushing it up the next time and that seems to be the fucking process mm. yeah so there's been an interesting transition that people in this room um hopefully are experiencing in their lives to some capacity um where with enough time those six inches start to aggregate into real distance and i don't feel like i'm at a point where all of a sudden the rock is like i'm hucking it out of an airplane it's just gaining <laughs> momentum um, but it feels like it rolls, you know, so while I'm asleep, while, you know, you know, yeah. just like, I don't always need to be trading my, my time, you know, for, for, to, for moving the rock. There's actually like, oh, the rock's kind of, I can kind of chill and do other stuff and work on things. And the rock still rolls a bit, you know, and uh, that's, that's how it feels. Well, for me, so I've been, I've been a, I've been a pusher. Like, I've really been someone who likes pushing rocks. Like, and I think you've identified that in me. Like, I like, I like the, hard, the hard stuff. Like, I'll tilt straight towards any fucking dragon, windmill, whatever it turns out to be. If there's something that I can point my lance at and charge my horse, it may be foolhardy like Don Quixote, or it may be noble like Prince Gallant, but I'm going to, like, fucking charge for it. And that tends to be the thing that I identified as myself, right? That was my primary self-identification and validation was the one who does that. And that's still a part of me. But then, so applying that back to the rock analogy, like recognizing that instead of being the one who pushes the rock, be the one who pushes the rock and the rock and the mountain and the other thing. So like shifting my identification to not the one who's doing, but the one who's being, so instead of like pushing the rock, being the rock, and allowing the being of who I am to be the thing that lifts me forward, right? Which is, that I think is where the next phase of my life goes, right? Because I could try to come in here and like try to deliver a podcast 
for you guys, for the audience, for South by, for the platform to sell some stuff. And that's going to be stressful to do that. But like, if I can just be me hanging here with you, my friend, the podcast is probably going to be better anyways. Right. But it's just an orientation of perspective. It's an orientation of how I'm looking at what I'm doing and just trusting that I can just be who I am and not try to do what I think I need to do. And then that I think is the biggest shift that I can possibly like go through at this point for me is just to trust that I can just be. What kind of practices help you get to the back to that state of being? I think you have to be radically mindful of all the times that you're trying, right? Like it's hard to, cause it's like you already, you are, so you can't try to be because, so you have to just be mindful when you're trying to not be something that you're not right. So it's almost like you have to look for the negative because you already are the positive. You can't like add more of being yourself to yourself. You can only be mindful of the times that you're not being yourself so and I'm and it and you, it's shocking how often I'm trying, like and and the trying can come in a million different ways. The trying can come in relationship. The trying can come in business. The trying can come in friendship. The trying can always be there. And when I'm trying to trying to show something or be be something that I'm not really actually feeling, then then I know then that I'm a little bit off course, and it it's becoming almost unbearable to try to be what I'm not, right? Like the more you know who you are, the more a- absolutely radically unbearable it becomes to be, to be what you're not. And that's, I think, what's teaching me now is that I just fucking can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it. I have, I have it written in here, but I think I have it, I think I have it in, in, in my brain. <laughs> There's this quote from a guy called John Ciar- Ciardi. He's an American poet. He said, an ulcer is the is an unkissed imagination taking revenge for having been jilted, and jilted being like being passed up. And it says, it's an unsung song, it's an unpainted watercolor, and it's an undanced dance. And I feel like that's like these practices that we do when we go to like ecstatic dance, or we, we learn to play the flute, or the didgeridoo, or the guitar, or, you know, whatever your means of expression is. Like I feel like we all have this internal seed of like, ah, get it, Ugh, like get it out of me, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like some people have, like Alan Watts talks about, like you need to practice life to enjoy life. Like you need to cultivate your capacity in order to play the flute. So it's like this is fun. Like I'm like, woo, I'm like getting into it. I feel like my my soul is speaking through it. I can step aside and I can let that thing come out. Yeah, you know, I think that's I think that that's like what a lot of existential stress that I experience is just like kind of being not as talented at life <laughs> as what I'd like to be, <laughs> you know, like, like I, like I want to work on these mediums in order to kind of like, it's almost like we're creating a hallway to allow that message to come out. You know, I think through speaking or through writing or through singing or through music or through dance. It's but like there's all, all those ways up the mountain, right? They're like just different ways to practice in life. They're all little metaphorical like practice grounds. So like the flute can teach you about life. Stretching can teach you about life. Yoga, working out, boxing can teach you about life. All of these things can teach you little facets about that bigger thing called life if you're paying attention. 
You know what I mean? Like you can learn the flute just to play the flute or you can learn the flute to learn about life and in the process play the, learn how to play the flute. You know, like you can learn how to box to be a good boxer or you can learn how to box to learn about life and in the process learn how to box. You know what I mean? And it's just like remembering like what the fuck are we really doing this for? Like what are we building our empires for? What are we accumulating wealth for? What are we getting these fucking muscles for? What are we doing this for? All the things that we're doing, like why? Why? Well, if not to enjoy life and to help others enjoy life, like what What are we really doing? We're lost to a certain degree. We're chasing things that as soon as we try to swipe and grab them, it's going to be like Patrick Swayze and fucking Ghost. You know, We're going to go reach for them and we're going to whiff because it's not really there. It's not, it's not really the substance that's going to fill us and fill that place that you talked about that we want, the place where laughter comes from. Like where in the body is the place where laughter comes from? I don't know. That's the place where you are and your songs are and your your things are. And that's the place where you're going to get those ulcers too if you don't sing them. And I fucking love that quote because it's true. And we all have that voice. We all have that expression. It doesn't matter what the fuck it is. So I think that we're being played, you could say, by our environment. You know, so for example, we are chronically staring into a screen of some sort, you know, a cell phone, um, or even like the walls inside this room or each other, or, you know, like our world is, is highly myopic. We're focusing in here. And there's research from a guy called Andrew Huberman, who um, we mentioned in, in the upcoming book of when we're, we're, when you can literally play our autonomic nervous system based upon how the, the, whether we're looking out into the panoramic view or we're looking really close and myopic. When we get close, we get more into this like sympathetic kind of like fight flight not that fight flight's a bad thing every time you take a breath in it, it activates more of that sympathetic side of the nervous system but it activates more in that like cortisol response like stress go you know get in there like execute and then when you look out into the distance you have this oh, like it's it's impossible to not want to take a breath when you just look out over the ocean like the first thing is, oh <laughs> You know, so the environment's literally playing your nervous system. And so it's a really interesting thing to think of, like, who's in charge of this thing? You know, what's, what's, what's driving me to continue to wanting, work, wanting more? When, like, tribe hunter-gatherer societies, what is their work week? It's like a day is, like, three hours of work on average or mm -hmm. something like that. The whole week, I think, is, like, ten hours. It's something small. I don't know where it is exactly. Really low. But then you look at the environment that they're being played by, all they do is look out into the distance. They're barefoot, they're climbing, they're pooling, they're having sex, they're connecting, they're, they're cuddling. They're, they're getting played by their environment in such a way that it's like, why I don't care about a Corvette. I don't think anybody cares about a Corvette, but whatever, my Tesla, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> If it was like 1980, my Corvette. Um, <laughs> Little red Corvette. <laughs> But it's just an interesting thing to start thinking about, like how my, I'm like I'm being played for sure. Like coming into this room, walking in, like I feel like I'm gonna pass out. Like I do crap like this fairly regularly. Every time I'm like, oh, 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 oh. you can see my hand is like shivering as I start. Now I'm fine, you know. But it's like you guys played me. <laughs> I think I think we're not. I also think we're not aware of our own desires. Like everybody wants the view, right? Oh, oh, what a view. What a view. What are we really fucking talking about? Like why? 
Like, why do we like views? Is it because there's a particular pixel arrangement that gives ocular pleasure to our eyeballs and our eyeballs have a sensation of pleasure that comes? Like, why do we like a fucking great view? Why? We all do. Who doesn't like a great view? Well, it's because it's actually playing us in a different way. It's shifting our perspective from that same thing that you're talking about, that myopic focus, that looking right between the slits of someone else's armor so that you can see their eyes and whatever that thing was all the times or staring down the sights of your bow or whatever that super hyper-focused thing that we have constantly on our phone, which is fine in short periods of time, but isn't fine when you dedicate your life to that one thing. So we crave a place with a view but we don't know why. But then we get out there and we're like, huh, nice view. Yeah. And then, then our whole fucking nervous system changes. Everything changes. Or maybe we crave the ocean. Oh, yeah, I love being out there on the ocean. Or well, why? Well, maybe it's the ions coming off the water. Maybe it's the sun that's actually creating the vitamin D response. But we'll just think like, and we get there and we'll fucking slam some margaritas and we'll forget about it. But like <laughs> something drove us to the water in the first place. Something drove us to the view in the first place. But unless we're curious and looking deeper and understanding that we're just the tip top of a pyramid of awareness and our subconscious and unconscious mind is the giant iceberg that's underneath the water that we're not aware of that's actually moving us and we're just on top thinking like oh i forgot this all so i got all this shit figured out we don't have but we're getting moved by this giant mountain of subconscious and unconscious and communication from the body and the microorganisms that are helpful and the microorganisms that are not helpful and everything collaborating to actually guide us to what we're doing so that we can go like oh yeah nice view it feels to me like you aubrey have like an especially large birthing. You know, there's like a huge baby. It's like a 14 pound. <laughs> you're like, like, how do we get that? <laughs> you know, and so within that, you ventured really deeply into kind of like introspection and like intellectual realms and kind of, you know, pondering on all these things. How often in your day to day do you not have any of that stuff? And this and the the slate feels just like you really just are or is it yeah quite often more more exploring? and more but you know you know what's funny is i'm i i tear up a lot more now i noticed that like a lot even you've you noticed that like a lot more now and i think what it is it's in those moments when i'm really being and i'm really feeling then the tears come because i'm so i'm so sad for all the times that i haven't felt like that yeah. you know like so much of my life that I haven't felt like that. Like, here's Stephanie here in the audience right now, right? A lover that I've had for five years. And like, now, regularly, I'll just be looking in her eyes and I'll start to tear up. Why? Well, part of it is that I've looked in those same eyes and seen nothing, felt nothing so many times. But those were the same eyes that are there. And they're always going to be there. You know? And, and like, to appreciate that, it's just it's overwhelming you know and and to find that like find that accord and and that happens in fucking all kinds of movies and it happens in beautiful views i've cried i cried i cried over a burger recently i had burger i was like this burger is so good it's so good though you know because like to really be present it's so good 
And then, then that instant thing is like, how many burgers have I eaten? And I've never felt this way before. <laughs> you know, and so, so that's the phase I'm in. I'm in this phase of like waking up more and more frequently, but I still toggle. Still, to- I'm still toggling all the time, like between these moments of radical awareness and presence and moments where, you know, I forget again. But it's fucking, I can definitely tell a difference. I can tell a difference when I'm making love. I can tell a difference when I'm eating. I can tell a difference when I'm doing things. But it's, I can't, I'm not at the place where I can stay there, yeah. you know, but, it, but the frequency and the duration by which I can get there is definitely improving. I think this world that we occupy is especially confusing because the people that we see, I would think you and I would fall into this category of being more like large, muscular, not that I'm either of us are that big, but whatever, we're like, got a beard, you know, and I'm like... <laughs> You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, but like they lead more with with this su- the, the superficial shows. They have a fancy car. They have all that stuff. We end up praising that, and we see that on all the covers in the magazines. And you know, that, like that's what we see is like, whoa, like that's me want that. And then meanwhile, what we're actually looking at is people that are filling this insatiable void, usually around their heart. I think for probably men and women, but certainly for for men. Or I can speak for myself. Um, you know, and so we end up kind of seeking the patch again because we get played by our world. You know, so all these media images are like, oh wow, like those band-aids are sick. <laughs> oh more of them band-aids, you know, and so you go out and you plug on the band-aids. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like so few people. Like there's a what was it? Maybe it was it might have been David Data talking about it. No, I don't think it was him. Anyways, talking about men, we end up no, it's Anadea Judith, Wheels of Life. It's an interesting book if you guys have an opportunity. Um, talking about men, we end up seeking women through our cock. We're like, I want to have sex. You know, like, that would be great. And then that kind of sneaks up into our heart. You know, and so it's like, that's like, we, we lead with that. You know, we're going out, <laughs> we have... Like you're dousing for water. <laughs> it's like the compass... Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, but that can before you know it, that can sneak up, and you can have that that eye contact that you're talking about, and that moment of connection, and you start feeling these melty feelings in places you've never had before. That those band aids, because before you identified yourself with all of the superficial things, they just make it harder and harder to access all the shit that actually means anything. And so it's like it's just it's just fucking confusing. Yeah, I mean the sex one, the sex one is like a rabbit hole that goes fucking super deep because for me, just speaking personally, like my my sexuality was so intricately and like inexorably woven into my idea as of who I was as a man. So like sex was not just sex. You know, sex was not that's what not what sex was. Sex was an opportunity for me to prove and reinforce my own masculinity therefore my own worthiness of love and every fucking time was that test and if that didn't go well you know if that if that test didn't go well i was like one of the athletes that would have a bad game and feel like they were a piece of shit and like not love themselves you know because they missed some shots or whatever it was but that was it was it was wimbledon finals every time i had sex for reals man like fuck like seriously like that's not having sex i mean i was having sex but that's not like really having sex it was having sex plus this whole fucking performance charade 
you know, that I would be thinking about beforehand and then thinking about afterhand. And it was something I really enjoyed, but it was also this massive sense of relief when it went well, like, whoo, I can still love myself for the next few days because I everything went well today, you know? How many times have you had the same, almost it, it feels like, like the same avatar, the same person come into your life because you haven't gotten the previous lessons? And so you have that sexual encounter, you have that block or whatever it is, and you reach a certain point in your relationship, and then you sabotage it or whatever. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, cool, well, she sucked, moving on. <laughs> you know. And then the next thing, you run through the same pattern over and over again. Man, have I've you had, experienced that? I've had some gnarly situations. So one, like one girlfriend I had in college was someone who was like, really difficult to please and i was a college dude and i really didn't probably know what the fuck i was doing anyway so but she was like mean about it right so like if things didn't go well she'd just like roll her eyes and roll over which is probably a sign that's like she wasn't a nice person and maybe like <laughs> i should find somebody else but instead it just fueled my own self-hate and my desire to change the narrative and i was fucking obsessed with her for like six i would like break up with her be like you're so mean I cannot possibly be with you. And she would like cheat on me. And she was she was like one of those people who was like, and when she would cheat on me, it was always with the Pittsburgh Steeler. Still hate the fucking Steelers. <laughs> but like, I was so crazy. I was so crazy. I've told this story before. I was so crazy though, because I, I went to Australia and I'm in Australia and we were broken up, but I'm still thinking about her. And she starts dating this guy who was at the Steelers. And I looked up his fucking combine stats and the whole time I'm in Australia, I'm in Brisbane. It's beautiful. It's sunny. There's fish and chips and beautiful women around. And people are just having fun drinking Bundy rum and 4Xs. And it's the greatest time. But I wasn't in the greatest time ever. Because all I was thinking about was that fucking dude from the Steelers. And I was looking at his combine stats and looking at his speed. And I was looking at his bench press. And I saw that, oh, well, he was only able to do 23 reps at 225 on the bench press. I could beat that with a little bit of effort. Because I thought that fucking matter mattered like that was important so and while everybody's out there enjoying brisbane australia i'm in the weight room with the fucking rugby team with my long ass hair listening to pantera training reps at 225 so i could get 24 reps so i could beat him in his fucking combine score like that was that's like that's the insanity that we can be driven by when we don't have perspective and we don't understand like what is going on so I mean, those type of situations, you can look back and go like, wow, like, wow, like what a, what a crazy time and what a crazy idea that you've had. And I've, you've seen that, like that was the most extreme example, but there's little tiny examples of that all over the place. And of course, being in an open relationship, that gives you all of the fodder for all of those examples. And finally, through immense pain and torture has been the tool that has helped liberate me from some of these traps of delusion. And one of those which being these constant sex being the fucking finals of Wimbledon kind of mentality where it's like, I'm okay with who I am no matter what and no matter how I express. Oh, and guess what happens when that happens? Well, sex gets better anyways. You know what I mean? Like this thing that I was shooting for and trying for and hoping to make it the finals. Well, you know how you play the best tennis of your life? Like anybody here play tennis? If you fucking play tennis and someone like 
misses a serve and you know it's out and you just take that casual like return a serve and just rip the forehand you almost always just like rip a down the line winner because it doesn't fucking matter because the point's over right because you're so loose and that's what all the best players and all the best fighters and all the best athletes you'll see them crack that smile before they go out there and compete because it's a it's fun to them right they're not in there like <laughs> i gotta play i gotta do this like you're gonna you're gonna do whatever that thing is shitty whether it's in the bedroom or whether it's on the basketball court you're gonna do it shitty when you put that much pressure on because you're gonna instill yourself with all this fear instead of belief so i was just undermining myself for the majority of my life until i can liberate myself from that and then hopefully live the second half of my life as the one you know, who lived the second half of his life and loved it the most. Like, are that's you, my goal. Are you a nose breather, Aubrey? Am I a nose breather? <laughs> when I don't, I'm, I'm everything when I need to be and when I don't need to be, right? So as you're doing the thing, <laughs> like, it's, again, more like, I just, I'm just so enamored by how this whole, how our environment forms us. Uh-huh. You know, and so something that's another interesting thing that just popped up as you're doing that is so many of us again we're 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 stuck in these is these different sympathetic type states, and we're in that. You'll notice if you like take that those mouths those mouth breaths like Aubrey was just doing, it literally starts to bring your breath more up into this clavicular mm. type region. It puts you more into this like like if you get startled, like everybody imagine you're getting startled right now. You go. So you breathe through your mouth, shoulders come up, you crunch the back of your neck. You know, all of those same patterns are literally exactly what we're doing as we're looking into the phone. Most of us, you know, if you look around, most people tend to breathe their mouths more. It literally changes the shape of their facial structure. Teeth end up getting more crowded, which ends up creating this feedback loop of being insecure about yourself. You get stuck in that breath up, in, up into your clavicular, putting you more in that, that, that stress state. I don't know. I just noticed that. It just blows me away. Do you notice that at all? Like your breath? Like I how think your my breath whole body is formed by mouth breathing then. Your whole my what? Whole, my <laughs> whole body. My neck tilts forward. My shoulders tilt forward. I mean, I've built myself based upon this stress response, sympathetic, you know, activation. Like that has been, and now is the invitation to unwind that. Yeah. You, know, you build the, yourself into a prison is what happens. You know, yeah, like people I, people build it. That's what we do with weightlifting. That's what I did. That's what I'm still working on unwinding. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. I think you're in the process of unwinding, and probably you know, again, a lot of people here, like we can build ourselves because you get into that. Okay, cool combine guy. I can do more than 25 reps or whatever. So you you focus all your energy into that place to the point you almost become like mutated in this one direction. And now you lose your adaptability and your capacity to go into the other directions. And now you're so far down that hole, you're like, well, shit, this is all I got. Mm. Well, and then it'll sneak into your identity too, right? It becomes your identity. It'll sneak into, I remember there's times where I've lost some muscle, like lost some muscle weight. And like, literally I'll walk around the office or walk around people and be like, hey man, losing weight, you all right? I'm like, yeah. I'm fine, but thanks for pointing it out. I guess I'll hit the fucking gym, everybody. Like, so everybody can just relax. Not like, stop pointing it out. I'm just going a different way. But I didn't have the confidence then, I don't think, you know, ever before now. And maybe not even now yet. Maybe I'm still not quite ready to let that go and do what my body probably really wants the most, which would be 
you know, five days of yoga a week and one day in the weight room, you know, that's probably, you know, if I really listen, probably what my body would like for a certain stretch at least. And I think I'm at the precipice where I'm ready to be able to choose that and be able to just smile when everybody's like, hey, man, losing weight. Like, what's going on? Like, everything good? Back in like, so I had, I, I mentioned to you previously, I don't know, maybe on this podcast, right? but I had like interesting childhood, like dad was getting involved in various drugs and just various, he ended up going to jail and I had to kind of like what seemed to feel like an unsafe kind of home. We did talk about this, but so during that time though, I was just obsessed with packing on size. You know, so I would just like when in in high school, I would like go into the locker room in the bathroom. I had like all these protein supplements and creatine and glutamine and like every type of ene I could possibly fit into my backpack. And every two hours, I would pathologically pound this shit down my face because I was just packing and packing and packing and packing and packing. You know, it's it's just it's so interesting now when I because I work at, at at Mecca, Venice Gold's gym. And probably nobody knows it's called Mecca anyway. I just think it's cute. It's called Mecca. Um, it is Mecca. It's Mecca. Mecca for bodybuilding. For it sure. is Mecca. No, I know. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be condescending about it. But but going in there, it's 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 so interesting to see. It's like this this social experiment of seeing like what like oh I wonder how. Not there, you can be a healthy bodybuilder, I think, and just really love the art and the craft of of shaping your body. I yeah, think it's that's never possible. what you do; it's how and why you're. It's doing how it. and why you're doing it. But that's the thing that I always question: is where is that person coming from with it? And you can so so clearly see people's personality and the way that they move and the way that they eat. Like everything is an indicator. You know, the way that they dress, the way that they the, the, their posture. You know, the car that they drive. Like every single aspect of a person is some type of indicator. There's a book called Elephant, Elephant in the Brain that's I just got done. It's really good. It talks about how we do conspicuous consumption, you know, or conspicuous empathy, conspicuous generosity. You know, so it's like everything that we're doing, we think that like, oh, this is what I'm, you know, but we've kind of learned that this helps us survive better. You know, so it's always just, it's an interesting thing to kind of step back and kind of look at subtle little details, even to the point of the way that a person walks into, into a room. You know, Ida Rolf had a quote, the way that you walk through a room is the way that you walk through your life. And I think that's just such a fascinating thing to ponder on when you see somebody, if they walk and they're kind of slow and they feel sluggish and they, you know, it's like, you'll watch their personality. You're not going to, all of a sudden they're like, hey, nice to meet you. Like, it's just, it's not possible, you know, because they're literally, they're tuning their nervous system based off of their tonality, based off of their postural patterns based off of the colors of the stuff that's on their body, based off of the feng shui of their house. It's just interesting to see that. And But what's interesting, though, is like, so all of these things that you can see about somebody, they're clues. They're clues that can make you curious, right? But So let's take watches, for example, right? Like watches, I like watches. I have a variety of different watches. Most of the watches that I bought, you know, earlier on in my life were just purely for appearance. And one of those watches I bought was a Bell and Ross watch, which is, it's in that like $5,000 range. It's a really nice watch, simple. Um, but I didn't really know much about the story. It was just square and I liked it. And one day I was there in on it and I was there in the cafe and Tim Kennedy had the same watch on. I was like, ha, huh, samesies, bro. And he's like, oh yeah, cool. He's like, all my watches have meaning. And the, you know, this was something, and it was like this deep story about the Air Force and how these watches symbolize that and his connection to the Air Force. And it was like this, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's why you have that watch. 
I had it because it was square and I thought it looked sexy. You know, like, cool, you win this one for sure. Because, like, because you can make that judgment. Like, somebody could be driving a Lamborghini and you could be like, fucking Lambo guy. You know, like, good job. What are you trying to show off? You know, or someone could be driving it driving a big old truck and you can make a snap judgment but you don't for sure it could be an indicator and there is some generalities but those generalities aren't anything you can rely on like you really have to know like maybe the person driving the lamborghini just loves cars and really appreciates how that car particularly was put together and actually knows how to drive and how it corners and has sampled these things and spent some time on the track and is just like a connoisseur of that thing and loves it or maybe he's just got that mint green lambo because he thinks that shit's fly and he's trying to show off right like you don't know you don't know until you really get curious and look but i think the first place we can get curious is like ourselves like why like what what gave us the reason to do the things that we did like all right i got a bunch of things going on let's talk about what i'm wearing as a fucking experiment i'll just be radically honest with you guys okay so this <laughs> ring i got in tulum it has a little cracked piece of amber on it. it looks like a werther's original it's not a very special stone but i always loved it. i was really drawn to it and it's been a ring that reminds me of the sun because the amber stone kind of reminds me of the sun and in a recent five meo ceremony i was wearing this ring 5meo dmt is a uh, psychedelic and i felt this finger in particularly like light up with energy when i was finished it was an amazing experience 5meo is incredible uh but regardless so i wear it on this finger and i put it on this finger and so this has like a significant like spiritual meaning to me now not only it started that way but it really got reinforced okay this watch here uh matches this kind of silver theme <laughs> that i had and it actually tells time because my other watches don't tell time i never set them because they're bracelets they're fucking expensive bracelets that i'm wearing to look cool conspicuous consumption conspicuous consumption yeah. expensive yeah. bracelet but this one this shinola watch that i got uh it tells time and i was like well that'll be useful because it's really annoying when i have to pull out my phone yeah. and check how long these podcasts are so i'm gonna wear the watch that tells time my only one it's the only watch that I have that tells time. I got a lot of watches. Mm. No, they're all bracelets. It feels to me like something that we miss, something that, like the greatest value that we can have to enrich our lives is to seek out experience, which is, I think this is something like, you know, everybody knows this, but a matter of actually doing it is different. You know, like I very often feel the need for like preservation. You know, I'll check my mint thing to look at what's the what's my money look like and okay, check my health and i have my little actually i don't use the you know the aura ring or whatever but like you know the, the ring or the, the mm -hmm. check my statuses how's my all my levels and all that again it's just this extra level of band-aid yeah you know and then you have the people that we usually idolize the people that actually experience life you know and they go out and they have like well here's my watch <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. this is my experience <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're like oh wow. damn <laughs> i need to get off instagram <laughs> and go to iraq <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's you know those things that we we collect for a reason it never really works you know like it never really provides us what we want to provide when we have those band-aids when we have those things you know so you start to recognize to just 
get the stuff that you actually appreciate. Like get the stuff that, that really makes you happy. Like does it bring you joy? Does it bring you joy, this thing that you own, this thing that you want? Really? You know, because most of the time the answer to that is no. You know, it's not going to actually bring you joy. It's just something you think you need or think you want or you want it to create. It's like, it's almost like a, a, a little spell that you're going to cast. You know, like a fancy watch is like, this is a little spell I'm going to cast on everybody. And some people are going to know that I'm rich and that's the spell that I'm going to cast on them. And, and then other people are going to see that and they'll find me attractive. And that's the spell that I'm going to cast with this watch. What are you going to be like a little fucking wizard? You know, like casting spells with your car and your thing. Is that really going to make you happy? No, it's not. Because if you trick them with that spell, they're not going to be loving you for the reasons you want to be loved anyways, which is just you being fucking you. Did you know that Socrates had resistance against writing? No. So he says, so, he, so like, it's, it's interesting to see, there's a, a book called the, the Medium is the Massage. He meant to call it, the guy meant to call it The Medium is the Message, and then the, the editor thought it was Medium is the Massage. <laughs> he's like, I like it, let's keep it. Um, <laughs> but he talks about how, our, again, our, our world forms us. But he, Socrates, I think Plato felt the same way as well. Um, but he said that when it will make people appear to be omniscient, but in actuality they will know nothing because we're going to fill ourselves up with all this, this information. And you could accuse me of doing that right now because I'm like reciting some shit inside my head. You know? And so it's interesting, again, like back to the social media and back to the actual having experience. Uh -huh. Our world has formed us into books. Our world has formed us into digital consumption to the point that we're kind of missing out on that like visceral connected experience. And even so, even back in the day when there was like a transition into this new like information age, there were like some smart fellows kind of being like, watch out for that information. Mm. Because that information <laughs> will hit you in the brain, but it won't hit you, it won't hit you here in, in the core, in like the, the real place where it matters, where you actually know something. You know, and that's something you realize when you actually test yourself. Like, go ahead, like watch, please watch documentaries about ayahuasca and like read about it and understand how it's going to interact with your brain and how the you know, DMT molecules are going to interact with the receptors and, you know, go for it. But do ayahuasca if you're going to really want to know about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't, you can't just think about it. Like, it's the same with anything. Like, describe sex or an avocado to someone who never has experienced either one of those. Like, good luck. Yeah. Like, all of these concepts are things that have to be felt and have to be experienced for them to actually have meaning of any sort. Like, you have to... You have to do it now it doesn't mean you can't learn it doesn't mean you can't use your brain to decide what you want or whatever and it doesn't mean you should stop reading books and stop doing this other stuff but it's all about just the awareness just like what how and why not never what never what you're doing how and why how are you doing it and why are you doing it? my sense of psychedelics like I, I like that it's called a trip and we were talking a few months ago, and I like specified that I went on a traveling trip. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And, uh, and I think it's I think it's really it's interesting that it's called a trip because like that's I think that's the value of a psychedelic in my experience is it's a pattern interrupt, you know. And so we so easily you know the medium is the massage like we're inside of this medium, and then the psychedelic trip goes pulls you out of that and says. Oh, whoa, I'm none of that. <laughs> <laughs> you 
but the same thing can happen by living, you know, in Morocco for a while or going to, you know, or getting some hell week in you, as my friend Cash Larson just told me. We were talking about psychedelics kind of sort of on my podcast. And he's like, I think you need to get some hell week in you, Aaron. Hoorah! And I'm like, I think you're right. <laughs> you know, it's like we just, we don't have, we don't have any pattern, pattern interrupt. You know, like like if you go to you know uh, you know north like Scandinavian countries like saunas are a big part of the culture, you know and we don't have that time in the United States at least in the world that I occupy so much to really come together. I guess some of these communities that you're kind of developing actually we're starting to get into that, but we don't have that pattern interrupt. We just and especially with the notifications on Inst- on, on Instagram on social media, it's just. And then you, you, you compound all of those layers, all of those layers. And then the next day, first thing you wake up, ding, you're back on. You know, and the- I actually do that intentionally. I've actually patterned myself to check my phone intentionally because that hit of cortisol is probably the first thing. And it's I like, actually talk about, copy. Not, I, I actually talk about not doing that in my book. But nonetheless, it is highly effective. Because it'll put you from your parasympathetic dreamland state to like immediately like, like I got to do something. Then I'll go for my fucking hydration, mineral cocktail, and my light and my movement. Are you serious right now? But the first first thing, the first thing is just that fucking hit. But the key, like, all right, so maybe I use that tool for that. But like recognize why I'm doing it for one. Be like, okay, well, I'm going to use this little piece of stress to get out of bed is this what i want is this the best thing for me should i be doing this why am i doing how like whatever but i tend to do that after a nap after whatever if i want to get if i'm like all sleepy i won't check my phone if i still want to sleep more because i know what the fuck happens when i check my phone so like if i'm in the middle of the night it's airplane mode and i don't check it because if i check it at five i'm fucked man I'm fucked because the phone does absolutely activate that sympathetic cortisolian response. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like it's interesting all of these things that we have available to us. So that's one thing that we have to be mindful of can certainly be detrimental, perhaps even productive if I do need to get going like this morning I had a speech to give and I didn't have much time, woke up kind of late, popped in, checked the emails, checks the text, checks the Instagram. Woohoo, I'm fucking ready. Mineral cocktail, a little bit of light. I'm good to go. I'm I didn't even need my coffee till after that speech cuz I was already stressed out from my fucking phone. Yeah. it's beautiful all right but that's that's one point but the other point is like pattern interrupt one of the things that that you're really good at and you know i've been coming good at too is a really fast pattern interrupt that we have available which is a cold plunge like that is a pattern interrupting fucking thing like whatever's going on in your state before you get in the wicked cold it's going to be a little bit different because the cold's going to compel the breathing, which is another technique that is actually going to change your state. So the combination of the breathing and the cold, and it goes fast. We're talking three minutes, and we're talking significant state change after three minutes. All right, yeah, vision quest, longer things are also going to be important, intentional community building, longer, bigger pattern interrupts. But we got to know the stuff that we have around us and the stuff that we have available and then fucking use them. Yeah. I think it's also important to realize that like your phone, like we're always anchoring things. It's a, an NLP term, neuro linguistic programming. Um, you know, and so your phone has, is is anchored to whatever your experience is with it. 
You know, so if you, when you look at your phone, it's like this happy dopamine feel good thing that's like, oh, it's like your lover, <laughs> you know? And, but if it's this stressful thing, then you'll like get you some cortisol and get you going. Um, but you can do that with other stuff too. Yeah. You know, and so the, uh, the cold plunge, you know, it's probably has as much of like a panacea effect as, as the other things as well. Like obviously there's, very obvious physiological effects with it, but there's so much ceremony that you goes mean into placebo? a cold plunge. What did I say? Panacea. Oh, panacea cures everything. Placebo, artificial <laughs> yeah. cure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it's so it's like I think it's it's that as well. Where you're anchoring it to being this thing of like one. It means that you yeah. are strong and you do the hard thing. Anchor one. Yeah. You know, two. It anchors you into your breath. It's this meditative thing. Another one, you know, anchor three, like you keep going down the line. You could tie a song to that experience. Yeah. Every time you do that, now all of a sudden you're starting to like cross anchor, you know, so now you can start playing that song and tie that to that physiological state that you have. It's just interesting. Well, there's certain, there's certainly certain people even showing up in my phone notification, having like hit me up, especially the people I've had longstanding relationships that have had emotional anchors too will trigger a different response right like it'll be like oh you know like and whenever that comes up just like even the, the way that the letters are formed and the way that it is you know it's like it conditions a response based upon what you've experienced in that even within so it's like getting micro to micro the phone itself and then there's this type of alert on the phone and then there's this type of person on that type of alert on the phone and there's i always think it's funny when people like people put that like crazy gnarly alarm thing on like eh, 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 like a submarine is about to like fucking my, take on water i have that for the end of my meditations i'm like i'm like why do i have that i don't know how to fix it i need an assistant <laughs> but it's Terrible. so fun. it's so funny i've had i've like i've hit people up and like i've been that I've been that fucking tone for them, you know, because I guess I'm the CEO, whatever. And it's been like people have worked for me and they like, they have that. I was like, please change that. <laughs> like, like, I don't want you answering the phone and talking to me after eh, 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 eh. <laughs> like every time I call you, like something's going to die. Like, that's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. What's so what are you working on right now? What's like, what's active work happening? active work happening there's a lot of active work happening i think for me i've gone through that like i said that big phase of trusting that being is enough and that it's okay it's like it's okay if people love me or don't love me the only thing that's not okay and the only thing that's unbearable is trying to be something to be loved right trying to be something i'm not Mm. trying is the key word in there and it's just like trusting that i can be and whatever other people's choices around that and their reactions and reflections based upon me being whatever that is it's all good it's all good and that's been the thing that i've really ultimately been working on the most and that's the thing that can release the stress which then i think to me can start to release the physiological adaptations i've had to make to that stress like the things i take to help me go sleep the things that i take to help give me energy the things that i take like in the last interestingly i've had the aura ring for a while in the last week i think i've gotten my two best 
personal best, like PR record scores on the Oura Ring for sleep. Cool. Right? Like, so things are starting to show up as I lift the weight off of this kind of constant pressure to try to be something. And I'm trusting just being is enough and that whatever happens with everybody else around me, the other things are starting to fix themselves a little bit. What do you feel like you're trying to be? Or like, what were you trying to be? I was trying to be the best lover. I was trying to be the most, I was trying to be like, I think the one of the things that open relationship will do is it will place you in a position where you will try to compete and compare yourself and you won't i at least you i'm projecting you but i'm talking about me like put me in a place where i would try to compete and compare with other people's what i would hypothesize as their you know perfection in certain categories and certain strengths or at least put the pressure on and i felt this even before open relationship just on my own internal judgments of myself but i think in a lot of ways that's been one of them just recognizing that I don't have to always be in a really good, exciting, charismatic mood. I don't always have to be in a really sexually profound and, you know, abundant place. I don't always have to be in this because I'm not competing. Like I can just be me. And if me's good enough, great. If me's not good enough, that's fine too. You know, like either one is okay. And the same with, same with business. I can show up and be, and do my best and if things go really well great if things don't go really well i'm gonna be okay too like i don't need i don't need that castle i love the castle i love the castle of on it i love the castle of my podcast and all these things but it's a being in a position of not needing it that i think has been the most important work that i've been doing lately and uh it's it's deep do you feel I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you, I promise, but I'm just curious. Do you feel like you've come, found a means or are finding a means of coming to peace with that initial seed of like, potentially could call it compensation? You know, of be it sexuality or be mm-hmm. it, you know, all the, all the castle, castle type things. Yeah. <laughs> I think really it's, it's, and it's important to, for me to have that spiritual understanding of who I am. You know, to understand that we're part of an undifferentiated source of energy, and that's where our inherent perfection comes from. It's not actually dependent on any of these other externalizations of it, but it's something that can't be taken away from us. What Paul Selig calls the monad, right? Like our piece of the divine that we carry with us, and it's feel. It's not only like knowing that by reading Paul Selig and being in the room with him, but it's doing things like. 5-MeO-DMT, which I'm not recommending. I don't, it's not a path for everybody. But for me, like to be able to feel what it feels like to be the monad, to be a piece of the divine, to be part of that universal force of love and life and God, and to know that that's really what I truly am and that the rest is just for play and for the benefit for all of us to play and to differentiate that unicity into the multiplicity of all of our lives and selves, like that's for fun that's for enjoyment that's to experience the polarity that's the kid putting his arm out the window to feel the pressure as they move their hand up and down so that we can experience some things because in the monad in the unicity in the all in the everything there isn't a lot of differentiation feels pretty fucking incredible but there isn't a lot of differentiation there isn't growth there isn't exploration there isn't stretching that singular note out into the million notes in between that comprise it 
So fundamentally, it's just perspective, man. It's just remembering that the most important part of who I am is the part that is undying and unborn and won't ever be changed. And that's what the Buddhists would call awareness, you know? You mentioned to me about feeling like wanting to take more of a break from psychedelics. Um, Whoops. (laughs) Or you felt like you were like not stepping away permanently by any means, but kind of like there was like an opportunity for a thing in Costa Rica and you're like, um, what was that? Well, I think that, I think that, that's 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 a, that's work right and there's integration and then there's there's integration of the work that existed and then there's new work and i think that i was feeling like i had i needed to process some of the lessons that i'd already gained from oh. you know so many years of psychedelic medicine and you know so i really backed off significantly and only recently started kind of reintegrating a little bit you know some of that um, and choosing carefully, like which medicines I thought would be the most beneficial because, um, and I think that's really coming from that understanding of what the pantheon of medicine that is available yeah. and then knowing what I'm called to and not acting until I'm called. I mean, I bailed out of a couple, even with really close friends, you know, I could have had an amazing experience with Kyle and I could have had an amazing experience here and it could have gone on this trip and, I've bailed out of a lot of those because I wasn't genuinely called to them. But then when I actually respond to the call, which has actually been fairly seldom, um, it's been a great way to remind me of that universal, you know, perspective, which I think is the, that's the anchor point by which I can kind of figure out everything else in between. And uh, without that, I was just suffering in the turbulence of those really choppy waters getting slammed up against buoys and boats and getting swids you know, sucking me down into the deep ink-filled waters. Yeah. So my feeling uh, with like psychedelic integration or any form, like just call it a trip, trip integration. You do something that potentially changes the shape. It's like the, you can think of like the, the mold that we're living in. It's literally, it's like a, you know, it's like a cookie mold. You, know, you pop the cookie out. That's the, the shape of your work and the shape of your relationship and the shape of all of your things, how much you look out into the distance, how you breathe, you know, all these movement patterns that you do, it shapes you, you know, your perspective of yourself. And then you can recut the cookie you know, and have the trip, but then eventually you come back into that mold. And something that I see, like a, I think there's somewhat of a, a deficit oftentimes with any form of trip is like, how do we come back and reintegrate and actually change the shape of that mold and, and create the resources to actually support this psychic, emotional, structural change that we maybe created during, during the trip. And so that's, is that something that you ponder on all? Like, like what's, what's the mold that you come back to? How do you change the resources after coming back from the trip? I think the mold being the environment and the people around you, you know, you can really only select the people that you want to spend the time with. Like the people are a big part of it. And also the choice of where you go. Like, so, but you're really, you're really the most important mold because if I can be in the right octave, I can be in a nightclub or I can be around anybody else. And if I'm stable in who I am, it won't really be, anything that throws me off that much so like i'm the most important part of the mold but then furthermore like find the people who have accord with that because it's just more fun if you do right it's it's harder to stay in the truth of who you are when everybody else is in the denial of who they are which 
the truth of who they are and the truth of who you are is the same thing. So if you can surround yourself with more people who can agree internally with the states that you're trying to achieve, it's going to be beneficial. But always the most important mold is yourself. And so that means that sometimes that solitude is going to be some of the biggest medicine, like you and nature. And that's what I did. I went to Patagonia. You know, I needed that just 14 days in there maybe more was like 17 days of just me and people speaking a different language and big wild rugged nature and i didn't even bring my phone that had everybody's contacts on it right because i needed to just let the mold of myself set before i interfaced with those other things that wanted to eat the cookie cut the cookie bite the cookie praise the cookie shit on the cookie all the things that people want to do to the cookie that is ourselves so i wonder if there so is the more valuable aspect the internal side or is the message is the the message is the the medium is the massage you know that the, the our mold forms us like which one has more weight because it's it's nice to believe that you come back from Patagonia and you've done the work that all of a sudden there's just like this electric light that comes out and everything, whoa, like nothing can touch me because I'm resonating this frequency that everything else just drops off. And I believe that. And it's also just interesting to ponder on, you know, which, which balloon has more air, more pressure. I think really you have to, again, it's that go back to Sisyphus. We got to wrap this podcast up. So we might as well tie it back into something earlier. Yeah. Patagonia is a way to push the boulder up the hill, right? Like going in isolation is a way to push the boulder up the hill and make real progress with that. But inevitably, the boulder is going to fall again and you're going to fall back into similar patterns. You're going to be triggered by the same things that you used to be triggered by. And you may not notice when it's happening that actually the boulder didn't fall quite as far. And then the next time you push it up to your higher expression, you're going to be a little bit more skilled and a little bit more equipped. And it's actually you who's a little bit stronger. The boulder may not have changed. It's just you know how to slow its descent and you know how to increase the speed of its ascent. And I think that's just the slow and slow and slow gradual process and the gentle rage of life and love that we get to experience. Mm. I like that. Let's hang this week, man. Let's do some shit. We're Let's gonna, have some fun. Yeah, we're going to do man testosterone stuff in like two hours. We're <laughs> yeah. Fulfill our, yeah. <laughs> our egoic desires yeah, to pick weights up and <laughs> throw heavy stuff around. Yeah. Somebody hopefully will take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everybody for coming out. Thanks to South by Southwest for hosting us. Really appreciate you guys so much. Aaron, when's your book come out, real quick? Uh, January of 2020. So not for not for a minute, but there'll be like pre-sales in the end. Pre-sales. Of, I'll let everybody of, know. The, uh, we got to get that shit. Yeah. So that's that. And then the podcast. That's like the most reasonable place. So Instagram, Align Podcast. That's the spot. Boom. Boom. Thanks, brother. Peace. As I mentioned in the intro, make sure to check out Aaron Alexander at Align Podcast and see what he's up to. I'm always learning something from this dude. Hopefully you learn some things as well. And of course, go to my website, aubreymarcus.com, sign up for the newsletter, learn some interesting and personal shit about me, leave a review, tell your friends, go to onnit.com slash Aubrey, save yourself some 10% off pretty much everything, all the cool shit, things that are gonna help your body, mind, total human optimization, everyone, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And love yourself and some other people and your pets and everybody. Like, Let's spread that love all around as wide as we can get it. But again, most importantly, give that love 
to yourself. That's where it starts. First the love goes in, the cup floweth over, and everybody gets to drink from the wellspring of your own internal love. Final words. (laughs) Much love, everybody.